You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everyone, it's Erin Carey and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. I am sitting here with Dr. Joan Ifland again, and I'm so, so excited. We are continuing our conversation about processed food addiction today, specifically in the, when it, as it has to do with children. And so let me just give you in case you missed the first episode with her, let me give you some of her background. She is a nutrition researcher and processed food addiction counselor. Dr. Ifland is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, and she holds her PhD in addictive nutrition. She has 20 years experience in the field of food addiction and recovery, and she is the founder of Food Addiction Reset and a leading expert in the field. So thank you again for being part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this deeply. I'm, I'm just thrilled that we're talking about something that of course is near and dear to my heart as a parent of three kids of all mm-hmm. ages. I, mm-hmm. I really want to dig into why, or should I say how processed food affects developing brains? Maybe just start there. Why should yeah. we care? Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. There are a number of angles on this. The, the research on this is chilling. We do have, for example, researchers who measured the, uh, it's called cortical thickness. It's just the, you know, the volume of the brain. Uh, And they did find that in obese children, it is smaller. So you would say, well, which came first? But what I see in the research is that repeated use of processed foods alters brain function more and more and more over time. So um, I think it's a good hypothesis that this loss of brain tissue is happening in response to processed food use, chronic processed food use. The other thing that we know does happen is that the addicted part of the brain, the reward centers is hyperactive it will set off a response from the stress pathways, uh, the hyperactive euphoria that you get from processed foods, the brain views that as dangerous because it's still out there. If you're an evolutionist or even a creationist, you you are in danger if you're not sharp and clear. So if you're in that altered kind of inebriated state, your brain will try to correct that by increasing adrenaline in your body. And so you have these poor children who are alternately kind of grogged out on the upside and then stressed out on the downside. All that activity is pulling blood flow away from the frontal lobe. So here is the core tragedy of processed foods in children, which is children need to be learning stuff all the time, every minute. They need to be watching adults who are behaving responsibly and and internalizing that behavior. So they are needing to be building life skills, right, left, and center, every minute of every day. That's what childhood is about, learning life skills. And if your frontal lobe is not online, you're not learning those life skills. 
And if your frontal lobe is not online because the blood flow is being pulled back to the addicted and stress pathways in the brain, you don't have attention span. Those are the things that are in the frontal lobe. Attention span, learning, decision-making, impulse control, uh, memory, and some emotional processing. So we do have children at school now who just cannot control their behavior. They're wearing the teachers out. Teachers are, are just, they're trying to control their behavior for children who can't. Um, there's aggressive behavior. Children are attacking each other. They can't learn, they can't pay attention. It's not their fault. And of course there's the pharmaceutical industry just standing right there saying, oh, let's add to the mix mm -hmm. with some chemicals, mm -hmm. some pharmaceuticals. So this seems, I think to parents like an impossible battle, but it's not. And we have kind of insider tips for how to use your child's own biochemistry to protect them from the processed food industry. Yeah, you know, it does make me wonder, even with the way that you're explaining how it affects blood flow and the prefrontal lobe, all of that, um, it makes me think of, we have this epidemic of kids being diagnosed with ADHD. And mm -hmm. of course, like you said, well, let's just give them a pill. Let's control the dopamine. Let's, you know, adjust the chemicals. It'll be fine. But if they're already on drugs, right, which is what you're saying, these processed foods are they're mm -hmm. inducing an addictive like behaviors and they're affecting the dopamine in the brain. So if you take a kid that's already predisposed, maybe genetically, you know, to some ADHD like behaviors, maybe there's some vitamin deficiencies, whatever. And then you throw in this food that alters the neurochemistry. We're in trouble. It's, it's, it's a tragedy beyond imagination. It's bad enough when the tobacco industry went after adults, they tried to go after children <laughs> and the regulators stopped them, but they had the Joe cool camel cartoon campaign. So what are cartoons for? They're, they're for children. So they created a cartoon character that would appeal to 10 year old boys. Mm. They were tightly aimed at getting 10 year old boys to smoke. So that model, the tobacco addiction model, the tobacco addiction marketing expertise was brought over by the tobacco companies to sugar for children. They, they got caught on the tobacco. They were not allowed to do that. But in 1963, R.J. Reynolds bought Hawaiian Punch. And immediately you have to start asking yourself, why would people who make their money off of creating addiction move into Hawaiian Punch? And then 20 years later, why did Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds buy Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in the space of three short years? Why would addiction experts move into processed foods. And, the, and when you ask the question that way and you ask yourself to think, you know, what would be the motivation? You can see it immediately. You can see what happened immediately. 
So these are documents. I'm speaking from research published at University of California, San Francisco. The tobacco companies, as part of their court settlements, were required to deposit tens of thousands, it's now millions of documents. And I think US, UCSF was the designated depository. So those researchers are going through these documents and it is absolutely chilling. I did, uh, I recently gave a, a TED talk and I did a lot of research for the TED talk on tobacco tactics as applied to sugar for children. Mm. Before I go into this, I have to say one thing, which is research shows sugar to be more addictive, more altering to the brain than cocaine. Yeah. So rats will choose sugar and even saccharin over cocaine and heroin. And we see these brain scans that compare the alteration to the brain from cocaine addicted people with obese people who are, they're not obese, they're processed food addicted. Mm. Obesity would be a consequence of the processed food addiction. And you can see that the loss of dopamine function because it's been worn out by the addiction is greater in the processed food addicted population than the cocaine addicted population. So we are talking about very rough, very destructive. I, I don't like the word destructive because you can alter the brain back. Mm -hmm. The brain yeah. is very, very responsive to what's going on in its environment and what it's, um, what substances it's being exposed to. So you can alter this back. It's not destroyed, but it's severely altered. And it takes a long time to restore it, uh, restore brain function. So with that context, knowing that sugar is that destructive and highly addictive, this is what the tobacco companies do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I really appreciate the way that you explain that the brain is not destroyed, it's just altered and that we can alter it back. I think that's really important. And one of the things that I have found to be really beneficial for my brain and supporting my brain health is through solid sleep. And this is a great place to pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. Like I said, I rely on solid sleep to support my brain, my overall health and wellness and functioning. My sleep number is 40 and my average sleep score for the month of August so far is 83. My highest sleep score this summer has been 96. And I'm pretty proud of that because, you know, summer can get a little bit crazy. Days get longer, bedtimes get later. And I've been able to continue with my consistent sleep routine, which is so helpful for me and how I feel and everything I do, including the food that I consume and the healthy habits that I'm trying to incorporate into my life. So why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because it's the biggest sale of the year where all smart beds are on sale. With 50% savings on a 360 limited edition smart bed, it's a great time to discover adjustable comfort for both of you. 
And right now we're going back to school. A lot of parents are sending their kids back to school or maybe parents are going back to school too. teachers and people who are continuing their education for themselves. How much sleep should we actually be aiming for when it comes to school aged kids? 10 hours will do the trick. Too little sleep impairs kids' ability to learn new information, which can affect concentration and schoolwork. And when it comes to tweens and teens, 9 to 10 hours of rest each night is needed as kids are entering adolescence. Parents, you need your sleep too. Adults need 7 to 9 hours of quality sleep per night. And Sleep IQ sleepers with kids attain an average of 30 minutes more restful sleep during the weekends compared to weekdays. I think that's important to note. I know for me, I am loving my sleep number bed and I know you will too. Why choose proven quality sleep from sleep number? Because every great day starts the night before. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local sleep number store or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. That's sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Now, Dr. Ifland, you are giving us such a good breakdown on how tobacco companies have created an addiction and even that addiction model has been used in order to hook us and our kids on processed food. I'd love to hear a little bit more on how these companies can create addiction that impacts the brain, even on a physiological level. It's a four-step process to create a commercially induced addiction, which is what these are. These are technologically induced addictions. So the first step is you hide the substance in a seemingly innocent product. Mm -hmm. So they extracted and concentrated nicotine and put it back into cigarettes, which they were promoting as sexy and rebellious and relaxing and masculine. So they took this seemingly innocent product. Oh, it's just a cigarette. And I look so sophisticated when I'm smoking it. Uh, And they hid nicotine in it. So you take a seemingly innocent product, you hide addictive substances in it because no one would knowingly use an addictive substance. And then you create an incentive program so that the person will buy the product often enough to set the addiction, to train the reward centers to release cravings. So the substance is, it's a, it provokes the release of cravings in the brain, the substance itself, you get that high, mm. high, um, the, the euphoria, that's the drug high. And you, you do that often enough, then the cell can no longer create its own high. It is dependent on having the substance to create the high. That is the process of addiction. That is the process of enslavement. That now you can't feel happy without the substance. Then they, in step three, they advertise, they create this whole mystique around the product and they create false value because it is, there's nothing valuable about it. It's just destroying your life. It's an addiction. So that is Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart flirting and smoking. <laughs> and that is the, you've come a long way, baby. 
uh, that is teaching suffragettes that if they really wanted to make a point about their independence, uh, they should smoke. They should be like men and they should smoke. So in step three, you're ascribing values, you're attaching values, false, false values to the product. And then this is the diabolical part. You surround that person that now that person's addicted. You don't have to have the substance in your body to get the craving. Anything associated with that substance, it will now become capable of creating the cravings, overwhelming cravings, where the brain is flooded with these craving mm -hmm. neurotransmitters. The, the frontal lobe has gone offline. You can't think your way out of it. You can't say, no, I don't want that. It's, it's like, as we call it the zombie walk. Yeah. Where your, your frontal lobe might be saying, no, 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 no. But nonetheless, there you are, you're walking to get whatever it is to get the drug. So this is something they call surround marketing. You go to the ballpark and there's an mm -hmm. advertisement which triggers the craving. It's very available because all throughout that ballpark are cigarette machines. You can get it easily. You turn on your TV, there's your doctor smoking in the commercial. <laughs> you, know, you go to, to your faith organization, people are smoking in coffee hour. They might even be smoking during the service. You go anywhere people are smoking. There are reminders and there's availability and it's cheap. So you can get the substance often enough to make this addiction worse and worse and worse because addictions are progressive. Okay, that's the tobacco addiction model. That's the alcohol addiction model where they have these like fun wine coolers, but they, they're hiding extra alcohol in those bottles. And we've got research on that. It's vaping where they said, oh, vaping mm. is such a good replacement for smoking. Isn't that a good idea? And then they put extra nicotine in the vaping products. It was even uh, selling opiates to doctors to prescribe there was extra addictive substance in those pills. The opiates were highly addictive. Uh, and so they hid the addictive nature of the pills until it was too late. Okay, so here is what they did with sugar for children. They took the Marlboro Country Store, which is the epitome of addiction creation because you've hidden the extra nicotine in the cigarette. Now you're offering free rewards for purchase points, purchase cigarettes, save the purchase point, the proof of purchase, collect them and send them in uh, because the country store is this mystique about the Western cowboy and how masculine he is. And oh my gosh, everybody wants to be just like those cowboys. <laughs> you're, you're engaging the drive to belong. And then the person is wearing the triggers. They've got a Marlboro logo jacket or a Marlboro belt buckle or Marlboro lighter. And so you've accomplished all four of those steps with this country store concept. So of course, not surprisingly, but really horrifyingly, they took that concept, lock, stock and barrel, and they laid it on sugar for children. 
sugar more destructive than cocaine, more addictive than cocaine. And the first one was R.J. Reynolds with the cartoon character Punchy. Hmm. Punchy was a very disturbing character, but they wanted to they they wanted to break the bond between the child and the parent. So the parent couldn't say no either. Children couldn't say no, but now the parent couldn't mm. say no. So Punchy, Punchy had a, a punchline. Okay, I wonder if this is where that came from. Punchy had an older man who came, who came to him in the advertisements. And Punchy said to the older man, would you like a Hawaiian punch? And the older man every time said, sure. And then Punchy would hit him. Oh, my gosh. That was the gag. He got a punch. Punchy would hit him. And so children were drawn to the idea that they had control Mm. over the adults in their lives. Oh, wow. It's just just horrifying. These people obviously have no souls. They're monsters. So they, um, they, you know, put the sugar in the Hawaiian punch. Then they uh, had a rewards, free rewards program. So the more Hawaiian punch you bought, you could send in your proof of purchase and you would get free stuff, free games, free toys, free clothing. And now you were wearing the triggers. Mm. And you would be triggering your friends as well into craving Hawaiian punch. So here are these children who need to be focused on life, gaining life skills, playing with their friends, learning relationship management, learning how to go to bed on time, learning how to be calm in all situations, learning, just like learning math and reading and social studies. And the, the addiction merchants have kidnapped the reward centers in that child's brain. And those reward centers are now like internal radio stations. Like that child might want to think about how to learn to read, but instead there's this broadcast going on inside their heads of, wouldn't you like a Hawaiian punch? Okay, that was bad. But then in the mid 1980s, Philip Morris got in on the act. They bought Kraft mm-hmm. and Kraft owned Kool-Aid. <laughs> I remember the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> they created the Kool-Aid man who did the same thing, flummoxed, mm. uh, flummoxed adults. Like you burst in on the scene and the adults would fall apart. Um, and they had the wacky warehouse, which is chilling, kind of chilling in the, just the guts, the nerve to name the, the warehouse with a mental illness. <laughs> they were creating wackiness from the wacky. It's just, and then you could buy the same thing. You could just buy endless toys, games, clothing, pictures. You could buy a, a Kool-Aid man picture and mm-hmm. glasses. And then surrounding the children and their friends with these triggers, craving triggers. Yeah. And when you think about, um, so we, so now, now we are in the 
the 2020s, we have a whole generation of people who did not get life skills. They did not learn how to manage emotions. They did not learn how to control their behavior. They did not learn impulse control. They didn't learn how to stay calm in all circumstances because they were addicted as children. They didn't have the brain width to absorb those skills. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that is. And then, of course, sugar is not the only one. Flour and gluten and excessive mm -hmm. salt, like they ramped up the salt levels mm -hmm. in Lunchables. Merciless. Yes. Dairy has four different kinds of casomorphine. Dairy is a substance which is designed to put a 100-pound cap to sleep. It's a narcotic. It has narcotics in it. Casomorphine is what it's called. One of those four different kinds of casomorphine has been shown to attach to um, human opiate receptors. And of course, uh, fats, we have some really interesting, very strong evidence for fat addiction. If you eat too much of it, if you eat measured amounts, you can't create the addiction because you, you're not getting the high. Uh, caffeine, of course. And uh, whatever the food industry has decided to, to hide in the products because nobody's really looking. Yeah, it's it's nasty. You know, it's interesting as you're going through this progression of how how we are where we are now. I um, come from a public school teaching background and I taught middle school for a decade and I think what's so interesting about middle school students is that that is when they start to get a little bit of freedom and their parents give them money to buy what they want at the vending machine, to buy their lunch, to maybe go to the corner store down the street from school or the school I worked at, there is a Starbucks across, across the street. So mm -hmm. kids could get dropped off at the Starbucks in the morning mm -hmm. and then walk over to school, or they'd all congregate there after school. And it was mm -hmm. so interesting because, you know, when we're talking about brain development, we know that that prefrontal cortex is not fully developed till what, 24, 25, um, yeah. depending on if you're male or female. And, yeah. but as parents, I think so many parents think, oh, well, they can, they can make good decisions on eating, you know, they're in middle school, but I, I saw as a teacher, what happened and the kind of chaos it would create, especially yeah. if there were some kids yeah. that were more susceptible than others to having major mood changes with, with mm -hmm. certain foods. Um, and I, and I have a child mm -hmm. that's like that too, that he's just more sensitive to things than other, other people. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, what do you say to parents who are trying to give their kids more freedom, but also knowing how destructive these things are? Okay, here's, here's where we're going to get into some really valuable information. Um, one of the tactics, you have to disguise this whole thing, right? You have to constantly uh, divert attention from the damage and uh, the tobacco industry had a lot of experience with losing control over the media. They brought that experience into the present day and the media never reports on any of this. Uh, there are billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars being spent on media. But so between the pharmaceutical companies, which are, have their own mythology going on around how to treat the consequences of these toxic foods, um, between those two industries, 
I'm just, I don't have the numbers, but what I make up about it is that they are dominating uh, media revenues and media just cannot write about this. So we have wonderful people like you who are getting the, the word out. But here specifically is how you protect your children from the addiction masters. And it's not just the processed food industry, it's also video games and screens and just it just goes on and on. So the first thing, and just do this slowly, this is a long-term project. You have all the time in the world. Uh, we do have resources to help you walk through this. It's got a lot of moving parts, the this being how to protect your children. It's got a lot of moving parts. It takes a lot of skill to work with other adults, particularly who are addicted themselves. You know, the, the adults in charge of children will say, how can you be so cruel to deny sugar to your child? That's really cruel. Yeah, so it's deep, you know, it's really deep. And the delusion and the confusion is really, really, really deep. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend like this is, it's easy if you have the skills. It's easy if you're around people who are also doing this. I was talking to a man the other day whose 14 year old daughter is sugar addicted badly. And he says, it would be one thing just to be battling with her, but we're battling with all of our neighbors who give her sugar. Right, absolutely. So it's, the brain is designed, it's top priority is to belong because if for 7 million years of evolution, or even if you're a creationist, if you belong to a tribe, and this is, this is everywhere. It's not just creationists or evolution. If you belong to a tribe, you would live. Your genes would be passed on. So if you were the conforming type, your genes got passed on. We have, not only would your genes get passed on, but if you were the conforming type and you could get into a tribe and be accepted by the tribe, when the tribe accepted you, they would share their food and water and shelter and they would fight off the predators and they would find you had access to their expertise to find food, water, shelter, and to know when the predators were coming and be able to fight them off. So it was life or death. Being in a tribe was life or death. And the ticket to being in that tribe was conforming to their behavior. If they were going to off to look for food, man, you were right there with them. If the clouds were forming and everybody was looking for shelter, you were looking for shelter too. And if the predator was there, then you had your spear in your hand and you were fighting them off too. So conforming was survival. The dominant system in our brains still today is the drive to belong. And we, we've learned that in our online recovery community. I, for 22 years, because I really didn't know until I finished writing the textbook, I really didn't know what the, the, the determining factors were in why I couldn't get people to give up these processed foods. Tons of education, you know, a, a daily phone call, not nearly enough to get enough messaging into a head to overcome the, the messaging of the severe addiction, the thoughts. So if your children belong to your family, 
your family is their primary tribe and they have conformance drive. So step one is to start to notice what processed foods do I have in my house? What processed foods are readily available to my children? What can they just go out to the kitchen and pick up? Like when I, I was born in 1951 and this was already happening. I could solve any life problem, not by acquiring a skill or learning how to work it through. I could solve that problem even as a small child by going out to the kitchen, getting uh, a slice of white bread and a couple of thick slices of margarine <laughs> and sprinkling the sugar all over that, folding in half and making a, a sugar sandwich, a sugar margarine sandwich. So what processed foods, what mood altering substances? So one thing you can start to do right away is when you're reaching for something to bring into your house or to make available in your house or for you to eat yourself, just like, is this, is this a drug? Is this a drug? Is this a drug? And you will quickly, you quickly, if you can just keep that one question in the front of your mind, is this a drug? you will know that sugar is a drug. All sweeteners are drugs, concentrated sweeteners. Uh, gluten is a drug, gluteomorphine. Flour, when it's broken down, can create a glucose high, which will be accompanied by um, a, a serotonin high. Uh, excessive salt. How much salt is in this? Is this a drug? You need, you need, must eat salt because your electrolytes will it, it could kill you if you don't eat some small amount, moderate amount of salt. Uh, is this dairy product actually acting on my body and brain as a drug? Yes, it's got casomorphine in it. Uh, these processed fats, high fat meats, are these acting on my body like a drug? And yes. Caffeine, absolutely, and all the stuff they put in it. And then food additives. Marion Nestle, chair of the, the New York University Nutrition Department for many years, says if it has a label on it, it's a warning label. Mm -hmm. So celery does not have a label on it. Right. <laughs> when I go into the back of the grocery store and I ask them to wrap in paper, I don't want any plastic in my house, and, and the proteins... Uh, they just, it's, they take that protein out of the case. They put it on a piece of paper, they weigh it, they wrap it up. So if it's got a list of ingredients on it, the processed food addiction masters have an opportunity to put hidden addictive substances in that product. No idea what's in there. They have probably a kind of some idea that it's not good. So, yeah. so that is a way to start. It's creating awareness inside your own head that there are drugs in my house. They're being given to my children. They're being given to me. Um, it's really fun to get off them because all these things that the health professionals have told us are not curable, they start to go away. Um, we have this wonderful book by Rob Lustig called Metabolical in which he lays out in a chapter the eight ways in which cells harm, sorry, the eight ways in which processed foods harm cell function. Yeah. 
eight ways that processed foods harm mitochondrial function, um, membrane function, filling up the inside of that cell with trash. It's horrible. So it's not surprising now with that, with the publication of that chapter in that book, I now have a very firm foundation to stand on when I say I have evidence, it's on Nancy Appleton's website, um, of 144 diseases going away when you get off of processed foods. Any disease is going to be uh, more likely to go away if you have healthy cells. So if the cells in your liver are compromised and your pancreas and your brain and your lungs, these, these foods are inflammatory. Your whole system is inflamed and not working, especially reproduction. Mm. You want to have more children. Your ovaries are inflamed and they're not functioning. And it's pretty amazing and it's very cool. It's very cool to see people who have never been able to get pregnant suddenly pregnant. You know, that you bring up such a good point there because we do have a growing epidemic of infertility. And even I was reading a report about how um, testosterone levels in boys are just half of what they were, you know, years ago in, in older men, you know, so we're seeing now in young boys, the testosterone levels of men 50 years ago. I mean, it just, it blows my mind. And so of course, yes, we have, like you mentioned the plastics, we have plenty of environmental toxins that we could attribute that to, but they are in our food and it's altering cellular function, not just at the, at the brain level for children, but in every single organ. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, this is a shocking statistic, but I just saw it in, as of 2018, I think this study was done. 73% of what Americans are consuming is processed. Mm. Yeah. 27% is unprocessed. And these are, these are hugely brain altering, hugely body altering. 83% of Americans are now overweight or obese and it keeps getting worse. And in obese populations, we have evidence for six behaviors, addictive behaviors, and on a continuum where the higher the BMI, the more prominent the behavior. Well, the there are only 11 diagnostic criteria. And when you have six of them, you meet the threshold for a severe addiction. So we, we have 83% of the population is on a continuum of severity of addiction to processed foods. Yeah, you know, your first step is to start just saying, is this a drug? Am I putting a drug? Just get awareness. It's a drug. It's not food. And then start looking around your house. What foods can I get out without anybody complaining and uh, get a list of the unprocessed foods? You can find that at foodaddictionresources.com and give that to your family members. I'm only giving you these foods. Please circle whatever you like and get ready for a tough, tough week of withdrawal. (laughs) Headaches, screaming, Mm -hmm. children screaming, I hate you, I hate you, just get ready for it. But the reward is at the end of the week. Now here's the insider tip. Here's the thing that could save your children and you, which is the gut. If you can keep them off of the processed foods for one week, the gut will repopulate. What the heck does that mean? 
that means that the microorganisms that break down processed foods will die off because they're not being fed. And nutritious, friendly microorganisms will grow in their place. The liver will stop stockpiling the chemicals to make the enzymes to break down the processed foods. So if you can get your kids off the processed foods for one week, you can make things like chili. You can make things like burgers. Uh, if you're vegan, you can make vegan chili. You can make um, soups, things that they will still accept. If you're a meat eater, children will eat steak for sure. Um, if they will only eat one vegetable, then that's the vegetable to give them. You can give them tomato sauce if they'll eat that. Um, often you can get them off of pasta and onto either spaghetti squash or brown rice. Um, so I'm not saying cut out the grains. I am saying cut out gluten. So you're going to cut out the wheat and barley and rye. Um, but, we, but we have programs. You got, we can train you in how to get through this. Now, here's one trick. So, so during this week, it's, it's good if you, if you do it on a vacation because they can't be going to other kids' house and getting sugar and <laughs> processed foods there because that will prevent the die-off of these um, bacteria that, that break down the processed foods. So one way you can do this is you can say, we're going to eat this food I'm making for you um, until Saturday. And then you can have whatever you want. Then you can have whatever you want. You can have as much of it as you want, all the sugar you want, all the dairy you want. And because they can no longer break it down, it will make them really sick. Mm. And I know that's hard to think about deliberately making your child sick, but the alternative of not doing this and having them sick and then sicker and sicker and sicker for the rest of their life, it's not an option. It's not yeah. an option. And then you don't fight them anymore. So you say, okay, let's do this one more week. And remember, you can have whatever you want on Saturday and they'll be less interested because they what you're doing is you're harnessing another really powerful part of the brain, which is pain aversion. So mm -hmm. they ate it, they got sick. They ate it, they got a, a stomach ache, a headache. They couldn't move. They were hurting all over. Their entire bodies were inflamed. They were biting each other's heads off. They were irritable and it was awful. It'll take a couple of days to get through withdrawal again. Um, but the second Saturday, they won't be quite so interested in the third Saturday. They might forget about it entirely. What the good thing about this is now, if they go to a friend's house and they eat the stuff, it will make them sick and they will associate that food with that pain. Yeah. It's pain association is the name of the game. And that's how you get it done. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I have experienced that myself. And so it makes sense that if we can teach our kids to tune in to their bodies and really listen in and pay attention now, you know, how does my stomach feel after this? How does my head feel? How am I sleeping? You know, if we could get them to pay attention, then I think they'll pick up on it. Um, you but yeah, the dots I, for them. That's yes, the parents absolutely. job. 
provide clean food, provide a clean environment, this is not going to work if they're in front of the television for Saturday morning watching 500 cartoon commercials <laughs> for addictive foods. So true. Um, yeah, it won't work. So you've got to kind of filter the media as well. It's better if you go on vacation. Like I just think of this remote cabin <laughs> where they can't go get anything and you're outdoors all the time in nature, which is very calming and soothing. Um, that would be kind of an ideal setting for this. Yeah. yeah and they no, scream, I, scream, yeah. scream. I hate you. I hate you. You won't <laughs> give me sugar. I hate you. There won't be anybody to hear. It. <laughs> just, <laughs> but it is true. They're getting a lot from, I mean, I just think school right now. I, I know I found mm. out this year, one of my kids, I would pack what I believe to be a very nutritious. I always had a vegetable always that, you know, I was very proud of my lunches come to find out he would come home and would tell me, Oh, well, you know, so-and-so is bringing me an extra snack every time. And I'm like, well, what, what's in the snack? And it was something that I would never <laughs> buy, but it, it was, it goes back to that belonging, you know, that you were speaking yeah. of it's, it's that, yeah. Oh, well, my friend is bringing it for me and it's extra. And it was a female friend and this is my male child and she's pretty, you know, there's just a whole lot going on there psychologically, <laughs> but I, you know, I thought, yeah. Oh gosh, this is, this is interesting. I mean, I'm doing as much as I can at home, but there's a lot that I can't control. And he's eight. You know, like this is, this is brutal. Mm -hmm. It's just brutal. But you can say to your son, um, you know, I'm so glad she gets to see you eating these vegetables because of course those <laughs> snacks are painful and I know you really like her and you don't want her to be in pain. And so it would be, it's great that she sees you eating these foods that don't cause pain. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and in this day and age, when every all the children are being taught, especially girls at a young age, to diet, mm. which is a precursor for eating disorders, mm -hmm. um, dieting and fasting. It's, it's mm -hmm. brutal. That my daughter, actually, when she graduated from high school, they did this little exercise where they lay down, they drew an outline of themselves, and then their friends filled in the outline. Hers... Uh, her comments were, wow, you stayed on a diet for six years. They admired her. She was <laughs> president of, what was she president of? She was president of student council or president of her class or something. And her sister went off to boarding school the last few years, but her sister was elected vice president. It's because <laughs> unprocessed foods give you a really, really nice personality. You're always open and cheerful and you are the, the magnet in that class. And so this fear that your child will be ostracized because they're not eating like the other kids, it's the opposite. Yeah. And, and just going back to just the brain level, you know, we talk a lot on this show about emotional stress and psychological stress and the impact that has on, on parents, children, everybody, but to remember that this food is inciting stress in the body on purpose. So it's creating a physiological, you know, distress inside the body yes. that's impacting that emotional stress in the brain and compounding it. I had to tell you that uh, my, my children were 11 and 12 years old when I figured it out about the sugar and flour. So January 1st, 1996, I needed to lose some weight and I had been in a group for bad personalities because <laughs> I had one. I was a <laughs> rager. I was in CODA 
Codependence Anonymous, 12-step mm -hmm. group. And it wasn't working and the therapy hadn't worked. 10 years of therapy hadn't worked to mm -hmm. stop the raging. And a women's healing group that I spent a lot of time and money training in did not help. I was still raging and totally embarrassed about it. Just shamed to the core, horrified at my own behavior. Couldn't stop it. Three weeks after I got off the sugars and flowers, I'm standing in my kitchen thinking, wow, nobody's been really bad for three weeks. Nobody's, everybody's been pretty good. I haven't had to yell at anybody in three weeks. Wow. Three weeks. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It wasn't about my family's behavior. It was about cutting out the sugars and flowers. And now after researching the textbook, uh, three years full-time. So three years full-time for a doctorate and then another three years full-time to research and write most of the textbook. Uh, now it's very, very clear. These substances create really difficult personalities. Lethargy and anger and all, all of the frontal lobe deficits, attention span learning, decision-making, memory, impulse control, emotional processing, they're all impaired yep. by the addiction. So um, that actually, it was that piece. It was being freed from the raging after having spent all this time and money on things that could never have worked because I had substances in my body creating that bad behavior depression, anxiety, chemically created. Uh, any, any drug addiction will create that personality, difficult, irrational, fragile, blowing up all the time, depressed, lethargic, just unstable. And my parents were that way. I grew up in a very traumatizing household. Uh, they were also physically violent. So especially now when a lot of parents are turning to homeschooling, it's a nightmare to try to teach a child who has drugs in their system. Mm -hmm. So I know, I know the temptation is, you know, just do your math problems, then you'll have a treat afterwards. So just the promise of the treat has triggered by association the craving chemicals, and now you've taken away that child's frontal lobe. Yeah. And you're asking them to solve math problems. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> not, it's not because they're being difficult. This diagnosis of, there's a new diagnosis of um, oppositional mm -hmm. behavior. Defiance disorder. No. Mm -hmm. no. No. You have you have a child that's on a mood-altering drugs. Mm -hmm. It's putting them into fight or flight. Or, yeah. Where's fight or flight? You, you, yes, and you, then you have all this extra adrenaline in your system, and you have unstable blood glucose. Mm -hmm. So when that you get the glucose from the refined carbohydrates, insulin comes in and drops it through the floor. Adrenaline comes in to pull it back up, but in that drop you have really violent behavior. Yeah, it's not that child's fault. And then this difficult child who can't learn is attracting negativity from the adults around them. And so you get this double whammy. And the adults are addicted and their moods are not that stable. 
Mm-hmm. It's a setup. It's just an incredibly tragically effective setup for hopelessness, for despair, for real deep darkness. Yeah. We do see the child suicide rate creeping up, not statistically mm-hmm. significant yet, but under bombarded, those reward pathways shut down. They're not supposed to be stimulated that much and they literally collapse. They will come back if you back off the bombardment and you don't overstimulate them, they will come back. We have pictures of this. It's called down-regulated dopamine, serotonin, opiate and cannabinoid receptors. So if those are collapsed, that child has no reason to live. Everything that's good in that life is not being transmitted in that child's brain. Mm. It's not just bad. It's really bad. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I'm so glad that you are sharing this information. It is not just your opinion. It is based on science. And I want to make sure everybody gets that clear that we have the studies that you've shared about. You have written the textbook on it. Um, This Mm -hmm. is backed up by the research. And so it is something Mm -hmm. that we all need to be concerned about. And so remind me, um, why don't you give us your website and all that information so that I can make sure include that in the show notes. And for anybody who wants to know more about your programs, they can look into that. Processedfoodaddiction.com is our main website. If you want help, if you need help, we can get you help today. We train peer support in this field. It's really friggin' tricky, but, but we've gotten it exactly where, because it's all based on these thousands of research reports, we know exactly what to do. And it's not what anybody else is doing. I don't know how else to say it because I want to give you some hope. So Food Addiction Reset is the support system. You can go there and you can join the Addiction Reset community, the ARC, and you will be you will get help today. I mean, it's there's no waiting list. I know there's long waiting lists for um, mental support out there. Mm-hmm. There's no waiting list at our, we're constantly training our own people. And, and yes, and if you're looking for a new job, mm-hmm. you can train to become one of our managers. Do you mind if I hold up the book? Yeah, no, go I'm ahead. <laughs> Processed food addiction is the textbook and you can buy it at Amazon. Great. That's yeah, great. I think it, will, it will give you that comfort of knowing that uh, you're your information is being pulled right out of studies. There are 2000 studies cited in the textbook. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a lot right there. That speaks for itself. And I just want to encourage any parents out there who are listening to this and going, Oh my goodness, how do I do this? You can do this. There are resources to help. And then another practical tool that I thought of as we were talking about all the processed foods we have in our house and at the grocery store, start to switch it up, count up how many meals you make for your family and go, how many of these meals involve 
whole food ingredients and how many of these meals involve processed foods. If your processed food ingredients are, what is it? 73% <laughs> you're in the average, unfortunately, but yeah. you can start switching that and you can flip it and try to incorporate as many whole foods as possible. I think that that's a really great first step for supporting the brains of everybody yeah. in your family. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't have time for this. You, you can fill a crock pot in five minutes in the yep. morning. That is less time than waiting in line for fast food. It's less time than heating up your oven to heat up a fast food item. It's less time than waiting for a delivery and you're, you'll keep your family safe. This is a safety issue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so, so much for this time and for your knowledge. And um, I, I thought it was, it was just good hearing, hearing the facts, hearing the science and knowing that there is hope and that we can change it. Thank you. Thank you. Well said. Brava, brava. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.